1 Timothy chapter 6. And I'll be reading from verses 6 to 10 and then 17 to 19. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. For those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And now from verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. Please make sure you've got your Bibles still open with you because we're going to have a look at that reading in 1 Timothy chapter 6. For those that are new or visiting or perhaps haven't been in a few weeks, we're doing a sermon series in the PM as we lead up to the Christmas, which is behind me here, and it says, Let every heart this Christmas prepare him room and the idea at Christmas we get very busy we chuck things into our life and we're thinking about this concept of what can we take out of our life so that we actually have a little bit of room to add something in for Jesus as we lead up to Christmas. I have a friend he's more of an acquaintance however I have known him since high school and he does go to this church so I thought it might be best to call him a friend. Now my mate Brian He loves a lot of things, and one of the things he does love is hypotheticals. Um, Those that know me know I operate pretty logically, unemotionally at times, and I have no time for hypotheticals. I just see them as time wasters. Often we'll be hanging out and he'll be like, oh, Mitch, Mitch, here's one. If you were sent to a desert island and you could take three things with you, what would they be? And I'd just be like, Prouds, Brian, I'm not wasting any time thinking about this because it's not going to happen. Like, for instance, how on earth am I going to get to the desert island? And then his mind starts ticking and he'll make up something. And then I'll be like, but why do I have to go? And I'll keep leading him on, but never really uh, giving him an answer. I do remember one time, though, he always tries to get me with different scenarios, knowing that I don't buy into it. And this one time he sort of said, if you could eat any meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? A couple of years ago, I reckon I would have said pizza, uh, because there's so many different types of pizza. So I thought that would be good, because you've got variety. But in the last year or two, I've recently converted to burgers. I reckon I seriously could eat burgers for the rest of my life. There's a photo that's going to come up that Dylan will pop up. So here's uh, some of my camera roll when I search burgers that pops up. And um, yeah, I guess I do enjoy a good burger. Now, back in the day, it might have been a couple sliders or a quarter pounder, but that's just not sufficient anymore. 
doesn't touch the sides. I'm always on the search and always on the hunt for the biggest, best, greasiest, dominant burger. And it's always just gone from strength to strength. Now, on the left, uh, we at JB and Sons, it was one they were running called the Fat Controller. Triple patty, four slices of cheese. Uh, very, very good. On the right is the Truffle Nader, home uh, at DY Hotel. So you might have heard of that one as well. Uh, for those that get the opportunity occasionally to travel south over the Narrabeen Bridge, you'll know <laughs> there's a new burger joint in town called Two Hungry Bears, and that's going to pop up here as well. And this burger joint is seriously next level. Let's have a look at some of these bad boys on the next slide. Thanks, Dylan. Oh, next to Shree's, across from 7-Eleven, some decent, big, bad boy burgers. Now, just interested, appealing, hands up if this looks appealing, don't be shy, good. On the other hand, if this really looks filthy, hand up if this looks revolting, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, <laughs> that it's pretty polarising, some people are like, you know, stop talking, I need to go over there now, it's dinner time. And others look at this and go, I can't believe you desire that. I can't believe that's what you want to eat. That makes me so sick that you want to have that much dairy, that much meat, etc. Tonight we're going to be looking at greed in our lives and how we can replace it with giving. Great, we've got a blank slide there, helpful. Um, this is no easy feat because when, when we're in this state of greed which we often are, we actually cannot see it because we're within it. We've often gotten ourselves to a place where what we have, what we acquire, what we consume is actually the new norm for us. It becomes normal. And there's actually someone who always has more. I was trying to actually think of excess examples in my own life and it was really tricky. I was like, oh, maybe I can tell them that I have five surfboards, but... That five surfboards, you know, I've got a mate who has six. That's not really excessive, is it? You know, surfing's one of my main passions. You know, I need a board for absolutely every occasion. When it's really small, you know, I've got my mini mouth. When it's tiny, when it's a little bit bigger, I've got my single fin. And if it's a bit fat, so the swell's weak, I've got my Channel Islands biscuit. And you might be thinking, well, you just said, like, the same sort of surf, can't you ride the single fin and the Channel Islands biscuit? And technically, you probably can, but... You know, a surfer knows there are very small differences between these boards and for our performance. And it's just interesting to note that we need to have five surfboards. And did I tell you that I had a mate? He has six surfboards. How crazy is that? Who needs six surfboards? Like <laughs> five, five, I think, is plenty. And more often than not, when we're in these states where it becomes normal and there's someone who has more, we actually need an outsider perspective to make us realise that maybe we are excessive in our consumption, maybe we are excessive in our desires. And we're talking about tonight, we're actually talking about going from greed to giving, which I believe is very hard because, as I said, when you're in that state of greed, our mind actually tells us you don't have enough. That's what it is when we're greedy. Our mind says, you don't have enough and you can actually have more. And tonight, not that God's an outsider, but we want to see God's outsider perspective of greed and what he sees as the key to being able to go from a state of greed to a state of giving. 
In 1 Timothy, that Michaela slash Leon read earlier, there are some false teachers in the church, and they're fleecing the church for money. We didn't read it, but you can glance at the first sort of five verses there in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and these false teachers are actually trying to get more money out of the church for themselves so that they can be wealthy. And Paul instructs Timothy to inform the church that this love for money and financial gain is perilous. And Paul addresses the church as two separate groups. The first, which Leon read in verses 6 to 10, are those that aspire to be rich. So in verses 6 to 10, we're going to have a look at those that aspire to be rich. And in verses 17 to 19, those that are already rich. And I want you to think about which group in the church are you? Do you aspire to be rich? Or are you already rich? Unfortunately, there's no third group that Paul's talking to tonight. Compared to the rest of the world, we are all very, very filthy rich. But perhaps compared to our neighbours, we may desire to have more wealth. Now, the key to moving from this state of greed is found in verse 6. I'd like to read that with you again. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, in those earlier verses in chapter 6, as I said, it paints a picture of those false teachers, and if you did get a chance to glance at it, you'll see what their character is like. These people that just desire wealth within the church, and you can see that it talks about them having greedy aspirations, uh, they have lives where they're being conceited, they're involved in unhealthy quarrels, they're envious, they have malicious intentions, and so on. But godliness, so hence why we get to the but, and it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, contentment doesn't come from owning whatever we want. Because there's actually no end to what we want. Because we talk about contentment, don't we? Often we say, just be content with what you have. I tell my kids that all the time. We walk into a toy store and they want something and they've already got ten of the same thing. And they're like, no, Dad, this one's this Beyblade's different. I want one of these or a Hot Wheeler car. And I'll say, no, you've got so much. Can't you be thankful for all the things that I've given you? And then I'll take them home and out come the cupboards and the doors. And look, look, here's your 20 Hot Wheels. Here's this. You know, why do you need one more? My kids at kindy, they have a little rule that they say at home as well, which is you get what you get and you don't get upset. Now, unfortunately, there is a bit of a danger with this type of thinking to be content in what you have. Because this type of thinking means our contentment is circumstantial. I.e., I have all these things, which is good to be thankful for the things we have, but if you made a list and you started being content with all these things, it depends on those circumstances. Imagine Job's list. He starts to pen it down, you know. Oh, yep, I've got seven sons. That's good. I've got three daughters. That's pretty good. Uh, 7,000 sheep at the moment. 3,000 camels. That's pretty good. Oh, there's a messenger at the door. Oh, really? Okay. Scrap that off. Scrap that off. Scrap that off. Because sometimes the things that we have that God's provided us with have been taken away. 
So godliness is actually only going to be true contentment when it's independent of those circumstances. So what Paul's talking about here, which sounds a little bit strange, but it's this inner attitude of contentment, and it translates literally as self-sufficiency, which when I was looking into it sort of sounded odd. odd. To be self-sufficient as a Christian, that's almost the opposite of what we do. But it's saying a state of contentment makes one independent of the outward circumstances, satisfied with one's inner resources. So being satisfied in God, being satisfied in the spirit, enabling one to maintain a spiritual equilibrium in the midst of those favourable and unfavourable circumstances. The Christian can be self-sufficient because his sufficiency is rooted and grounded in God's all-sufficiency and rests with, with assurance upon God's providential care. And then Paul goes on to tell us in verse 7, these are the types of things that will help us remain content. So if you have a look at verse 7, it says, and we're going to bring this up, sorry, on the slides, Dylan, if that's all right as well. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. When we entered the world, we had nothing. We all came into the world naked. Didn't come with any clothes, no possessions, no nothing. When we leave this world, what can we take with us to heaven? It's not a hypothetical. We're going to be taking nothing. Material possessions are equally irrelevant at our entrance and at our exit into this world. Contentment in the present depends on a belief in a future which is independent of those material things. Whatever may be granted above our actual needs will be thankfully received. But the true Christian will actually be satisfied when his actual needs are supplied. We're going to have a look now at verses 9 and 10, which should pop up uh, as well, hopefully. Thanks, Dylan. Now, what we see here in verse 10 is the old money is the root of all evil verse. Often misquoted in the church, and we do need to read it very carefully. Because it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. A couple of things to note, which some of you might already know. One is that it's a root of evil. It's not the source. It is not the root. Now, my wife and I have uh, actually recently moved to a place, and we have a yard that we need to maintain uh, for the first time pretty much ever, and we're now getting accustomed to gardening, more so my wife than myself. Anyways, we've got our bunning hats on, and we're learning the art of weeding, and it is a killer. You're often walking where that's down and you're like, where did that thing come from? They're just sprouting everywhere and you see the weeds above the surface and you're like, you know, down to the car and you're like, oh, here's one. And you go to grab it with one hand, that looks flimsy, I'll pull that up. And then you're like, oh, that's a bit harder, I'll grab my second hand. Okay, let's get the, the little trowel, start digging into it and then you end up getting the hoe and you're like hacking away and something that you thought was so flimsy and easy, the roots of some of these weeds and the roots of some of the bushes and trees that we've sort of taken down go very, very deep and they hold on for dear life. Sometimes it's many roots sort of holding on, sometimes it's just one single root and you just can't pull it up. 
The second thing to note is that it's, again, something you might, may, may know. The love of money that leads to all kinds of evil, not money itself. Money is morally neutral. How it's used for good or for evil is dependent on how it's used. In the same way a pen's used. The intention for this is it's meant to be used to communicate to others in a written form, but there's nothing stopping you poking someone with it. The intention for money is that it needs to be a means to support life. And far too often, money ends up being the means that makes the end of life. A pattern that I've seen before, and we often see in the church, is that you see some young teenagers coming through, and they're in youth, and they're on fire, and then they finish. They finish high school, and they have to make some choices about their careers and how to spend their life. And slowly but surely, some of those youth begin to pursue a career that brings home the bacon. And verse 9 tells us that those who are tempted by riches and wealth creation, they take the bait. They fall into a trap, and they get hooked, and they're now, like a fish, on a path to destruction. They work their backsides off, trying to impress their boss, Suddenly, oh, I can't really make church, I'm pretty busy, can't make community groups, sorry, I've got to work late. But they do get that promotion, they do get that car, they do get the fancy business lunches, but they also get to work more hours. And now they have more responsibilities, but they've also got more possessions. And they need to look after those possessions. So to look after those possessions, they need more money. And like verse 10, they're pursuing happiness through possessions. And slowly but surely, they've wandered from their faith, self-inflicting themselves with wounds of their own making. In an attempt to pluck the fair flower of wealth, they've pierced themselves with its sharp, unsuspecting thorns. In Matthew 6, 19 to 21, some of you might know this verse, Jesus talks about storing up treasures in heaven. And he says this, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For many that start with a faith journey, they realise, hold on, I can't love both God and money. And they give up pursuing God. And they trade that for pursuing wealth creation. And that's what Jesus says. He says, what you value, what you treasure will be shown. That's where your true allegiances lie. That love for your treasure, whatever it will be, that's where your heart actually is. Now, I probably would say I don't think I have my heart sort of set or my sight set on pursuing wealth as one of my goals. However, that does not stop me from regularly following down that same slippery slope. I want to share just one of many moments where I realise, wow, I really am one selfish, greedy human being. I'm a design tech uh, high school teacher in my spare time and I often take uh, year 12 and when you take year 12 they have a major project and often you spend a lot of time investing in these kids. So you stay back after hours, you troubleshoot for them, there's a deadline for the major project and you invest a lot, you go above and beyond. Now one of the small perks of taking year 12 is you often get a pretty good present from the class. Or sometimes the particularly diligent kids or those with generous uh, parents who are sort of on top of it give you an extra gift. 
And sometimes you get a bit of an inkling who these kids are. Like maybe you got a gift in your seven from their parents and you taught them for one term and you're like, what? This is going to be good when it gets to year 12. <laughs> anyway, I took this boy through a couple of years back and the end came. The major work was done. Last class was done. And I'm not going to lie, I had high expectations. Sure, I get paid for educating their child and they already pay the school a fair sum of money for me to do that, but teachers do work hard when they're not on their 13 weeks holiday a year. (laughs) This is true. Anyway, the boy brings in an envelope, and on the last lesson I'm thinking, okay, this is good, envelope, usually a voucher, possibly a voucher, always good, that way I can choose something, very wise, good work. Uh, I open it, yep, have a quick look at the card, yeah, all good. Um, open, and then I get the little voucher envelope, and at the time it said Oxfam, and you probably know what that is, but I didn't. And uh, I opened it, and I've got a slide here, it was a voucher for a goat. And I was like, oh, having a look at it, this is lovely. And the boy's like, yeah, mum... Um, said she knows you're a strong Christian and thought you'd love to give a gift to someone else in need. Imagine me gulping and, of course, yes, Uh, that's, that's a great idea. The amount I went above and beyond for this kid, and I get a goat and it's not even for me. I was seriously, that afternoon, furious. And obviously, over time, God's perspective started to rub off on me and change my heart and mind. Here I am with so much that I have and I'm getting upset about a gift that I didn't earn, I didn't need, it was unnecessary and I actually was getting a gift for someone else. That's just one of many examples. But hopefully it resonates with you that there are times when you realise you desire these things and we get upset when we get the wrong one or you don't get what you think you're entitled to without thinking through how much we actually have. So we've had a look, I guess, at those aspiring to be rich, and we're now going to have a look at verses 17 to 19, which should come up on the slide, for those that are already rich. And Paul's given some advice to the aspiring to be rich, and now he's got some advice to the already rich. He gave warnings to those aspiring to be rich and said, watch out, it's a trap, this is perilous, don't head down this direction. He gives us two warnings to the rich about two potential perils. The first, which you can see, is not to be arrogant. For some reason, wealth can give us a bit of superiority, can't it? It's one of the weaknesses of our consumer society that assumes possessions are actually a symbol of status. Sometimes we get caught up in this worldly way of thinking that if you're not wealthy who's not wealthy, you've done something wrong. Those that are not rich, well, they're just actually not wise. Maybe they just actually haven't even worked hard enough. And as our, uh, as our riches increase, it gives us this sense of entitlement. And that increases. And when we have this vast array of possessions, we build up on it and we start to look down at others and be like, oh, that's all they have. We can't help to show others what we've earned the things that we've worked our backside off for. The second warning that we see is not to put too much dependence in our wealth, rather put our dependence on God. We must not put our hope in our wealth. And for all of us, deep down, we actually know 
that when we purchase things, they don't truly satisfy. But we do it anyways. We all sell ourselves that lie that actually it can. That thing that you guys are looking forward to for Christmas that's going to give you so much pleasure. And once you have that, things are going to be okay. You won't need anything else. That new car that you're saving for or that new place that you're trying to get, once you get that, everything will be okay. But Christmas is going to come. You're going to get the new device. You're going to get the new car, perhaps not for Christmas, but later on. You're going to get the new place with a better location, more space for all your things. But then, actually, there's one more thing you need, isn't there? There's just one more thing. Once we get that one more, then we're going to be okay. There's this very real danger of trusting in material security instead of God, the giver of all things. Far too often, we put our trust in the things themselves rather than the giver of those things. This ever-growing desire for one more, the desire to possess, stifles the ability to enjoy, which is pretty ironic because in verse 17 up there, it reminds us that God actually provides us everything for our enjoyment. We are meant to put our hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God actually wants us to enjoy things. With the one more mindset, we actually don't take the time to enjoy them. There's a lie of Satan, and it goes a little bit like this, that God calls us away from pleasure, and he subjects us to a drab and colourless life. That is the life that a Christian is to live. Sometimes uh, people follow in excessive abstinence and cut all those things out of their life, and that's not actually the solution either. Sure, it may be helpful at some times to take things away. However, it's not required of the rich. What is required of the rich? Have a look in verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That is the positive and practical demands that is made of all those who are rich. It's characterized by goodness and generosity. The rich are to use their wealth for the benefit of others. God does not want us to squander it on ourselves. He actually wants us to share it. I know we doubt the economic soundness of the early church back in Acts 4.32 where it says this, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. I'm not by any means saying that we go there, but we can head down that path because we cannot deny what they were doing back then was a proper expression when they shared things of Christian love. God's actually given us a very unique opportunity, as Graham was mentioning before on the Northern Beaches, to nurture the church and spread the gospel. About a month or so ago, Leon read out three numbers. I can't remember if they were 7, 100, 150. Close enough, pretty good. And gave us an update on how our yearly budget was tracking, or not quite tracking. A few weeks later, thankfully, the call was answered, and people were giving more than they were currently. Just at the start of tonight's service, he's now said that we're being aspirational by trying to increase that by about 5-ish percent. That shouldn't be aspirational. That should be something that we can do as a church to make sure that we meet that budget. 
And around that time, another call went out for Sally and Mitch Leach, which are battling some very serious illnesses. And again, people here in this room rose to that challenge and even more so. The power of the generosity of this church can make a massive impact on people's lives, and we've seen that. And this shows that people in this church are actually very generous with what God has given them. The trick, though, which I'm sure you know if you've been a Christian for a while, is you can't just tick that box. Yep, generous, done. What's the next thing I've got to do for God? Because we can always give more. We can always share more. We can always be more generous than we already are. When you get to that point, your paycheck comes in or you log in on your bank app and you ask the question, How much of my money should I give to God? You're actually asking the wrong question. Perhaps you need to be asking how much of God's money should I keep? A couple of handy pointers as we finish up. No sort of magic numbers for your tithing or lists because what you need to realise is giving is actually a way of life. Being generous is actually a lifestyle. Don't give to get in return. I'm sure everyone's had that driver mate in high school. You know, the guy that's first to get his car in the grade and he has a nice car and he seems really generous and you're like, oh, he lives five minutes down the road, I'm going to ask him for a lift. And you're like, hey mate, can I get a lift, save me catching the bus? Yeah, no worries, jump in, drives you home. You're like, yes, this is heaps better. I get home ten minutes earlier, this is great. And then all of a sudden the calculator comes out and he's like, um, oh, yep, 2.7 Ks, petrol's 98 cents a litre. Um, or oh, do you have like $4.37, like just help out, petrol money, you know, all that kind of stuff. We need to realise that we shouldn't be giving to get back in return. We do see in verse 19, which I'll get Dylan just to bring back up again, I'll have a look in your Bibles, that it actually hints to laying up treasures in heaven. However, that can't be our motivator for our giving. And the funny thing is, it actually never will be. Because if it was your main game as a Christian to give to others as your exponential investment for your golden palace in heaven... Possessions and wealth creation is too high on your priority list. There is no way that that would not filter down into this life and guide the way you behaved yourself on this earth and your conduct as well. The other thing I want to think about is let's not just give the dregs. But we do do it from time to time, don't we? We let people have the last few of our hot chips uh, when we've had our fill. We give that last slice or two uh, of our pizza... And we appear really generous. Oh, yeah, no, you have it, mate. You know, and inside we're going, oh, glad you took that. Otherwise, it was going to end up in the bin. And that might have been a bit embarrassing because, let's face it, it's pretty hard to polish off two Domino's pizzas. Um, But we need to be giving them the first slice. We need to be giving knowing that, hey, even if I have one pizza, I might not be full from the other seven pieces. It's like the first fruits of the Old Testament. God's people had poured many months into their agriculture produce. Suddenly, they would come to harvesting time, time to eat, time to enjoy their produce that they'd been waiting for. But they would give to God their first fruits, not knowing whether it was going to be a season of abundance or whether it was going to be a season of very, very little. But this was a sign of obedience and trusting God as the provider. 
We need not to just give the first slice of our pizza, but of our wealth, of our, of our riches, and of our possessions. There needs to be sacrifice in our giving. The widow's offering in Mark 12 speaks to this, which we'll just bring up, please, Dylan. No, it's going to be odd with the formatting. Anyways, in Mark 12, Jesus and his disciples are sitting around watching people and they're putting their offerings in. All the rich are counting out their notes. And they're counting out their notes and they're showing everyone... And I realise now that I can't fit it in there. (laughs) So I'm not going to pop them in. It actually has nothing to do with that. I will never get them back out, as you can see. So we'll just put that there. And we'll (laughs) we'll put these back here. Um, But they're watching the rich and the rich people are popping in their money. And you could imagine everyone sort of watching and sitting around uh, in that temple area. And then all of a sudden, a poor widow pops uh, up to give her offering. She has two small copper coins, happy to donate these. And she pops her two small copper coins in the money tin. People watching, thinking, it's not even going to buy the priest a soft serve. What's, what's going on here? Yet... Jesus says, disciples, come in. Come in, I've got something to share with you. This lady, even though those others had these, she's given more than all the others. She put everything she had to live on. She trusted that God will still provide as he does for the birds of the air. We need to actually follow in the widow's footsteps. We need to trust in the giver for the provision of our needs. We need to be content in God and God alone, not in our circumstances, not in the things we have. We need to stop spending life acquiring wealth, loving things and using people and we need to start spending life sharing our wealth, using things and loving people. We're now going to do the offering, which is timely. Uh, I probably would have rather had it go before. But as the offering does come around, please start to digest this, reflect on it. Obviously not just for a once-off as the offering bag comes, but how you can give. As I say, give of your riches, give of your wealth, but also of your possessions, not just within the church, but those outside the church as well. And for everyone that will look a little bit different, those opportunities will come, and they're ongoing. So sometimes opportunities and you'll, you know, do the, ah, I probably should have, you will get more. So as the offering comes, please think through your giving.